I've really enjoyed being challenged and stimulated by other authors. And one of them is Tim Keller, which I, I, I really, um, I'd, I was uh, just at the vineyard the other day. We were talking about guys and we were teasing each other about what books we were reading and saying, are you this junkie and you that junkie? Well, I want to just say, I think Tim Keller for me has been a breath of fresh air. And I want to share something tonight that I've learned from him. And I, I don't apologize for that because I think we need other people to stimulate us. We need people to challenge our thinking and to help us along in this walk that we have with Christ. And we're going to read Galatians chapter 2 and we're going to talk about truth, truth and freedom tonight. Because I think those two things need to absolutely, we need to be rooted in the truth of, of the Word of God and absolutely free under grace. Absolutely. But how does truth and freedom work in this context that we are living in right now in the center of one of the biggest cities of the world in a liberal culture, a post-Christian culture. How do we understand truth and how do we understand freedom and how do we preach the gospel into that? All right? And I want to say that the gospel radically impacts every part of your life. It radically impacts your marriage. It radically impacts your, your parenting. It impacts your whole life. I want to say to you that if we are going to see a, um, a multicultural church continue to grow in this community, then the gospel better impact our inter, inter, intercultural, inter-whatever inter relationships, or else we, we're, just going to, we're just going to butt heads with people. Isn't that true? And this thing of uh, you South African and you English and you Nigerian, no, 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 we're all kingdom people. And, and I want to say, if you truly have a revelation of the gospel that's transformed you from the inside out, racism can never, ever be a part of your vocabulary. Never. If you are still racist in any way, you have not understood the gospel. The gospel has not fully impacted your heart and your life. Or mine. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm just excited about this. So Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to look at absolute truth, all right? We're going to read pretty much the whole chapter. And again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, not the NIV. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and said before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. That's amazing, Paul, huh? Saying there are some who seem to be influential in the church, but what he's really saying is sometimes the ones who seem to be influential are not really the ones who have the spiritual revelation authority. It's interesting, eh? The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had run in vain. So he's saying, I wanted to make sure these people understood the gospel I was preaching to the Gentiles so they wouldn't think I was just running my race in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Verse 4, and I want to look at verse 4 and verse 10 tonight. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission to even for even a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Isn't that amazing? He's saying in the context of the Galatian church, he's saying there were those that infiltrated the church, that came in to spy on the freedom that they had, and tried to bring them into slavery again. And he said, we did not yield to them. We refused so that you might still be free. Man, that's beautiful. Don't you think so? Aren't you happy that there were people like Paul that persevered in preaching the truth of the gospel so you and I could also have the freedom that we enjoy right now because of the blood of Christ? That they so stood on that truth and did not flinch, did not give in. And I want to encourage you not to flinch, not to give in, even when people put things on you. And uh, the church can put stuff on us. And we've got to say, no, it's the, it's the, the gospel. 
truth of the gospel, okay? And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Isn't that true? God shows no partiality. No one. Those seem to have influence. It doesn't matter. It's all about the authority that comes from the gospel of Christ in our lives, not positional authority, okay? And from those who seem to influence. Those, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, and now he really takes off his gloves, Paul. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just said Peter has been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised work, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. So he's saying the same spirit. Same Jesus is working through him to the Gentiles, who's working through uh, uh, Peter to the Jews. And when James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars, ah, this is, this is fighting talk. He's saying these guys seem to be pillars in the church, perceived the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me that we should go to the Gentiles and, to the, and they to the circumcised. So they agreed, okay? Paul, go to the... The Greeks and the uncircumcised, Peter, go to the Jews. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. All right? So we can look at that verse again a little later. And when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face <laughs> because he stood condemned. This is Peter. This is the rock. This is the one upon which Jesus said, I will build my church. This, this man, Peter. Yeah? He posed him to his face, and he said he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, so James was part of this group that introduced the, these guys trying to get them back into slavery. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, these Judaizers who said we had to now suddenly become Jewish again, when, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So out of fear, Peter starts to behave strangely. And he starts to say, no, actually, we do need to observe some of the Jewish law. I want to tell you there's a move in the church that says you need to, you, you, you need to observe the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Lights. And it's somehow you're more kind of Christian if you're half Jewish. What is that? It's rubbish. I want to say to you, under God, it is rubbish. That is gone. It is over. The church has replaced all of that because of the blood of Jesus. We are antinomian in this sense. We are against the law. So all that stuff goes. And you know, I've seen in Europe in particular, because of the Second World War, in Christian churches, there's this fascination with, with uh, Israel and with the end times and with um, ministering to Jewish people. And that's not a bad thing to minister to Jewish people. But there's this like overemphasis, which is not biblical. I want to say that lovingly to you. I really want to say that. We are free in Christ. You do not have to become half Jewish to enjoy the fullness of what God has for you. It's just, it's just not right, okay? Oh, and the rest of the Jews, verse 13, acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. So he's saying this thing starts to influence people and starts to grow, and it's hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that their contact was not in step with the gospel, the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a, a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so basically, 
This little short man, Paul, points out the error of these guys on a theological... Notice he doesn't try and tell them to do stuff. Notice that. He doesn't say, you must do this and you mustn't do that. Now he points them back to the gospel and says, no, the gospel has brought you freedom in the first place. What on earth are you doing trying to get people to behave like Jews that are not Jews? It's just not kosher. <laughs> ah, what are those snorts? It was a good one. It was good. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing chapter. I pray, Lord, as I preach now, I thank you for what you've given me through things I've listened to and read. And Father, I just pray you take these things and that they would bear fruit in our lives, that we would see the gospel come and transform our lives, our families, this community. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Now, this thing of truth is a very interesting problem because we as Christians believe that we have the absolute truth. Yeah? But isn't that a problem? Because when you grow up in a a liberal community and a liberal post-Christian culture, there's this underlying thing that nobody can say they have the absolute truth. Because if you say you have got absolute truth, then you are impinging on other people's freedom. And how can you say that you have absolute truth? Surely there are many ways to God. Have you heard these arguments that I'm talking about? And that we impinge somehow on other people's freedom if we say that we have the truth, the absolute truth. So how do we answer these questions? Well, I want to suggest, I want to give you three things that I, um, Keller uh, said, and I absolutely agree. One, truth is much more important than you would think. Right? Truth is much more important than you'd think. Two, freedom is a lot more complex than you would think. And thirdly, Jesus is a lot more liberating than you'd think. All right? And we, 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 we want to look at this in terms of truth and freedom. So let's look at that first thing of truth being as much more important than you think. So here we have the story. I'm trying to set the scene, the Galatian church. We see that they are the, the, the early Christians were Jews, and now Paul has gone to the Gentiles. The Jews had been, those people that had become Christians and were Jewish, that had been observing the ceremonial law, rituals of washing, making sure that they ate the right stuff, all that stuff. And then Paul starts to re- preach to the Gentiles. And some of them come to faith, and some of them come into the church. And there's this amazing thing that starts happening. Start hap- starts happening. Paul starts to largely preach to the Greeks, to Mario's p- friends from Cyprus, all right? He preaches to the Greeks, and some of them start getting saved. And now this question arises in the church, is Jesus enough to fulfill every requirement of the law? Is he? And Paul answers very simply in this passage, absolutely yes. 
Jesus is sufficient to fulfill every requirement of the law, and he basically challenges and deconstructs a whole lot of argument around that topic. So Paul's answer is simply yes. Among the Gentile converts, those things don't have to be observed. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter if you're male. You don't have to be circumcised, all that kind of stuff. And that causes controversy. It causes a whole lot of stuff to happen in the church. And so he says in verse 5, we read it, there were some that came into the church to spy on their freedom. And so Paul goes and he decides, now I'm going to sort this out. So he goes and he speaks to Peter and James and the guys. And he says, let's, let's talk this through. Actually, we need to resolve this question. And in verse 4 and 5, very pointedly say, and if you want to read it again with me, that we have freedom in Christ because of the truth of the gospel. We are absolutely free in Christ because of the truth in the gospel. And he has this relationship between truth and freedom that Paul speaks about straight away. And what I want to say tonight is that how Paul speaks of freedom is exactly the opposite to how we understand freedom in our modern day culture. Because modern day culture says that to enjoy freedom, you must throw off everything that restrains you. Everything that hinders your freedom. And so since Rousseau and all those philosophers that birthed the French Revolution, all that stuff of liberty, equality, fraternity, that's all throwing off the oppressor, throwing off those things that chain us. If we just throw those things off, we will be free. And in the 60s, we had this amazing movement of women's liberation where, where, where ladies rose up and they said, we want to be free from all this stuff. And there was, there was truth in what they were saying, absolutely. And there's this desire for freedom in people. And it's true about what I'm saying, all right? And we think if our, we cannot limit our freedom, we can't impinge our freedom, but... Paul clearly says here in this portion, verse 4 and 5, that freedom comes from conforming to what is true. That's what he says. He says freedom comes, true freedom comes as we conform to what is true. And why does our culture think like this? Well, I've already mentioned there's some philosophers that have had influence on our culture. But largely, there's this thing in our culture that says that if you claim to have truth, Somehow you are trying to exert control over people. And that actually claims of truth are really control mechanisms in society. And the guy who really introduced that into our, in, into our uh, Western way of thinking was Nietzsche. Has anyone heard of Nietzsche? All right. Good German. Okay. And he influenced philosophy in this way. He introduced into philosoph philosophy what I want to call a, a hermeneutic of suspicion. In other words... If, you, if I was to say in, in Nietzsche's time, if we were to say to Nietzsche and his, um, his followers, we think it's a good thing that people have a concern for social issues. We want to see orphans taken care of. And we want to see, uh, uh, we declare that as a truth. Nietzsche would say in his German accent, that is very good, very interesting. Now, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? Do you want to do that because you love the poor? Or because you want a revolution and you want to be in power. Is that why you really want to start this thing of social concern? That's what he would say. So he introduces a culture of suspicion into the way that we have thought. So when people make a statement of truth, his, his basis was to kind of look from another side and counter that. So then, if we were to take that into a, a biblical or church scenario, and we were to say, 
We think it's good that people conform themselves to the Word of God. When we conform ourselves to the Word of God, there's freedom in Christ. He would say, why do you want to do that? Do you really love the Word of God? Or do you just want to control people with the Word of God? Do you want to marginalize those that do not agree with the Word of God? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> You get what I'm saying? So he's kind of saying, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to confirm people to the Word of God so that you can say you're morally superior to others? That you can separate yourself? That you can control your group? And these are good things. And before we dismiss them, I want to say to you that Jesus said the same to the Pharisees. He did. Jesus agreed with what Nietzsche is saying. Jesus agreed, because he said to the Pharisees, he said, you do the same thing. Your claims to truth are all about power. All you want is to control your little group. All you want is to, have is to control the community, and if you do not conform to what we say, then you are no, you're not part of this little thing. That's, that's, what, that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees all the time. He agreed. He said, actually, your claims to truth are just to exert control over people. But what I want to say tonight is if we say that all claims of truth are always trying to control people all the time, then I think we are wrong. Absolutely wrong, because that's not true. You see, um, I want to read a little quote to you, C.S. Lewis, Lewis quote. He says this. It's from a book called The Abolition of Man. He says, You cannot go on explaining away forever... Or you will find that you've explained away your own, your own explanation. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is that something else, you can see something else through it. For example, it's good that you can see through a window, but that's only because the garden behind it is opaque. But if you could see through everything, if everything was transparent, a wholly transparent worldview would be invisible. And to see through everything would be the same as not to see. That's what he's saying. Okay? So what? let me just try and define it a little bit more. Okay? What he's saying is this. If all, if all statements, all claims to truth are really power plays over people, then actually the statement that I've just made is the, is the ultimate power play. <laughs> it's the ultimate, the ultimate power play. Why should we listen to that? In effect, he's saying that you've explained away your explanation. He's saying to see through everything... And to see through everything is to see through nothing at all. That's what he's really saying. You see, everyone, all of us make claims to truth. All of us. And as Christians, we must make claims to truth. But what I want to say to you tonight, it's not that the, the truth claim that we need to look at. It's what is the central, central fundamental of what we're proclaiming. That is the thing that either releases people or controls people. So what do we proclaim as, as Christians? We proclaim Jesus crucified on a cross. We proclaim a Savior who died and gave himself away that he might be free. How is that controlling? Surely that's the most liberating thing that we could declare to the community. That's the fundamental truth that we have as Christians. Jesus, he said it to himself in John 8, verse 31. What did he say? He said, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. 
So there are a couple of examples here. We, we must be in touch with the truth, right? Uh, what I mean by that is if we think of some, someone, if you think of a pilot flying an airplane, if he's not in, if he's not in, uh, in touch with the reality of the, air, the, the weather conditions, what he needs to do for, to fly his plane, if he's, not con- if he's not in contact with that truth, what's going to happen? The plane is going to crash, isn't it? He needs to, he needs to be in, in, truth, in control of, of some truth. And our culture says to be truly free, we must move away from truth. And it's, I want to just say it's absolutely stupid. It's silly. Because it doesn't make any logical sense at all. And you might say, well, that's true for a scientific example, what, but what about our lives? Don't, don't we... Um, does that apply to how we live in terms of our morals? I want to say absolutely yes. I want to say if the only value that we have is to live a fast life and make money and just, and just um, pursue that with all of our heart and all of our passion, I want to say that you will come up against some things. You will lose your, your, your relationships. You might even lose your health. You will lose your family. There's a reality that you come up against if that's how you want to live. Just as there's a reality that if you don't fly a plane right, it's going to crash. We come up against that reality as we go forward. Only the truth will set us free. So truth is much more important than you think. And true freedom biblically comes as we conform ourselves to truth. And that's, that is much more important than you might initially think, all right? And then secondly, I want to just talk about this thing of freedom being a lot more complex than we think. So Paul, just to get back to the scripture in, in Galatians here, Paul goes to, to, uh, the, to see, to, up to Jerusalem, and he sees the other apostles. And they say, um, it's good what you're doing. We recognize you need to go to the Gentiles. Peter's going to go to the Jews. And then verse 10 is a very interesting thing, because it says, Paul, all that they say to Paul is this, do not forget the poor. The very thing, Paul responds, and he says, it was the very thing that I was eager to do. Okay? Now, what is the point? Well, the point is this, that Paul basically, because he was going to the Gentiles, he was going to the marketplace. He was going to the people that had influence. He was going to the people who had money, the people who had power in the community. Those are the people he was going to. And they recognized that. And so they said, well, that's cool, Paul, that you go to those people, but please don't forget the Judean Christians. The, Ju- the, Ju- the Judean Christians were poor. They were, they were farming peasants. And, and what the, the other apostle said is, Please, please don't forget those people. And Paul says, I was eager to do that. I didn't want to forget the poor. Now, it's a very interesting thing because in verse 4, Paul has, has gone great pains to tell us how free we are in Christ, that there's nothing in us that impinges our freedom. And now already by verse 10, he seemed to be saying that there are some things that impinge on our freedom and how we live. He's saying, well, actually, you are free in Christ, absolutely free, but don't forget the poor. So in other words, how you use your money and your time has an influence on your life. And don't forget the poor, Paul says. And what he's saying is that there's an underlying biblical value that actually he's recognizing. He's saying God does want us to take care of the poor. And actually that does impinge on our freedom in a sense, this total freedom that we have in Christ, because it affects how we live. (laughs) Are you understanding me? It affects how we spend our money. And there are other biblical values that we recognize. Loving our wives, not committing adultery, honoring God with our time, honoring God with our money. So in verse 4, Paul says, we are free in Christ, absolutely free. By verse 10, he's saying that there seems to be some things that limit our freedom. Well, how do we understand that? Well, I want to I give you some things that I, I believe. You know, our response as modern people is to say that 
Freedom is the absence of all restrictions, like I said. Absence of all constraints, all boundaries. The fewer the boundaries, the more free I am. Will that not be true? Even we see it in the church. We don't need any kind of leadership anymore. Just throw all the leaders. All the leaders they want to just do is control you. All we need is grace. All we need is grace. And they will truly be free. All we need is the Holy Spirit will truly be free. I, don't, I think that's oversimplification. It's not what the Bible says. Freedom is a lot more complex than you think. And I, I want to give you a couple of examples. I love food. It's a great pleasure. I love cooking it. I love eating it. I'm also 45. And I'm discovering, as I get a little bit older, that um, I am still free to eat anything I want. Absolutely. There's a, but there's a greater freedom to consider. I also want the greater freedom of a healthy life. That for me, I, I don't want to face things in my old age, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart attack. And so, in order to do that, I limit my freedom now to eat anything and not to exercise. I limit that freedom for the sake of a greater freedom. And the greater freedom is I want to live a healthy life for a long time. You hear what I'm trying to say? Freedom is a little bit more complex than we think. So, the one freedom, eat anything you want, is restricted for the sake of a greater freedom. No, I want a healthy life. All right? Secondly, if you're a musician like I am, there comes a point in your life that you have to make some choices in terms of your music. If you want a greater freedom, if you want to be an excellent performer, if you want to be a person that composes music, if you want to be someone that entertains people, there's a reality that your freedom now to do whatever you like with your time is limited. Because if you want to be an artist of any kind, if you want to be a great painter, sculptor, whatever, you want to be a good sportsman, your freedom to do anything with your time is limited by the fact that actually you have to put in hours and hours and hours and hours of practice so that you can enjoy the greater freedom of what you actually have set as the vision for your life. And if you don't do the one, you're never going you, you, to enjoy the other. There's a greater freedom that we want to aim at. So... Um, there's a sense that for a musician or for an artist, discipline, although it seems like an impinging of our freedom, discipline produces a greater freedom in the end. All right? I also want to say this, though, that sometimes discipline is not going to help us. Okay? Say I wanted to be uh, Martin. Can you come stand next to me? All right? I was going to pick on Luke Cheneau, but he's not here tonight. Say I had a dream to be a lock in a rugby team. And I just, from when I was five years old, I just wanted to be, I wanted to play for England. I wanted to be a lock. And I was going to discipline myself. I was going to make sure that I ate right. I was going to exercise, get to the gym. What chance do you think I have, with all the discipline in the world, of being a world-class lock as against someone like Martin? Thank you, Martin. Thank you. Pretty much zero. Why? Because I simply don't have the physical package. I can be as disciplined as I like, but I'm about five feet too short. So it doesn't matter how much I practice, I'm never going to be a good lock. You hear what I'm saying? And I can have all the discipline in the world, but it ain't going to help me. So what I'm trying to say in those two examples, the one with musical aptitude and gifting or the one with sport, that sometimes... Restricting our freedom brings us into a greater freedom if we have the right package. 
And so God has specific things for us that are right for us, that, that liberate us into freedom in our lives. And it's not the same for everybody. There are some things that are absolutely true for all of us, but then there are other things that God wants to release for every one of us, all of us as priests. The truth will set us free. And for me, if I was going to pursue a career and try and be a lock in a rugby team, that would absolutely crush me, wouldn't it? In the, in the end, that wouldn't help me at all. Literally, it would crush me, yes. I've used this example before, that a fish is only truly free when it's in water. Would you agree? It's only free when it's water. You take a fish out of water, it just lies there on the ground, it flops around, and ultimately, after a couple of minutes, it suffocates and it dies. You can say all you like that that fish is free. It's out of the restrictions of the water, but it ain't free. It's a fish out of water is simply dead. It's not free at all. The way that it enjoys its freedom is in the water. A bird is designed to fly, and when you look at it in the air, you say, it is free. And it flies. And that's what its design is for. I want to say the ultimate thing, how long have I been going? Half an hour. I'll try and go another 10 minutes. The ultimate thing that I'm trying to uh, uh, say to you, this, talking about this complexity of freedom, the ultimate place where it finds expression is love. See, I mean, love brings to our lives wonderful things. It brings security, it brings freedom, it brings other good things. How, how many of you still desire to be married in this room? You can just put your hands up, but I'm not going to pick on anyone. There are a couple. That's a good thing. It's wonderful. Okay, I want to just say this to you. If you, want to, um, if you want to become involved in a relationship of intimacy, what you actually have to do is kiss freedom goodbye. If that's what you want for your life, I want to say this to you lovingly that your ability to make spontaneous, unilateral decisions disappears like that when you get married. You cannot just say any longer, I feel like popping out to the pub without, well, you can. You can pop out to the pub every time you get home from work, and then you're going to face a whole lot of pain when you come home in the evening. Okay? Our freedom, the freedom that you enjoy in a relationship, that, that's a freedom that all of us long for, that freedom comes only as you surrender individual freedoms in that relationship. As you surrender your right to do this, and you surrender your right to do that, as two people mutually do that, there's a greater freedom that comes. And so what I'm trying to say to you in all of this, in all of these examples, that freedom is not as simple as you think. It ain't. We have to know the truth. We have to conform to the truth. We have to surrender some of our personal freedoms to that truth in order to get a far greater freedom that God has for us. That's the good news. Now, maybe you here tonight, maybe you think, I'm a little bit nervous of that. I'm a little bit nervous of surrendering my individual freedom. Perhaps you've been involved in a relationship where it's gone wrong, and now you say, oh, I don't want to be involved in a relationship like that again. Perhaps you feel as uh, being part of a church, that leadership in a church might... Um, I might, or any other leader might ask you to surrender some of your freedom for the sake of the truth of God, and maybe that makes you afraid. Well, I want to just say my last point tonight is this, is that Jesus is a lot more liberating than you think. <laughs> John chapter 1, verse 1, very simple scripture. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Greek there is a very interesting word. It's logos. The logos was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
says it in those different ways. Now, this word logos, is, I just want to look at this as we close tonight. It's a very interesting word because John uses it deliberately. It is loaded, absolutely loaded with meaning. It's logos, as you can see, if you could know English, our English word logic comes from logos. And the Greek philosophers had been debating for centuries about this thing of our reason for life. What is our reason for life? Why do we exist? What we were made for? It's easy to see a fish is created for the water. It's easy to see a bird was created for the air. Why are we created as human beings? And they were talking around this thing for century, centuries. By the time um, uh, Jesus had come, they had kind of come to this conclusion that actually perhaps we weren't made for any reality. Perhaps we just have to be comfortable with the fact that there's no design and there's no purpose for life and that we just exist as human beings. They had come to that point by the time that Christ had come and was born. That's why this thing that John says is so powerful. It's absolutely powerful. He says, in the beginning, there was the Logos, the reason for living. In the beginning, the Logos was with God. All desire that we would, would need to know in terms of our existence was there with God at the beginning. In other words, John is saying there was absolute truth with God in the beginning. Now, for, for, for us, if we, just, if we just say that absolute truth is a system of rules that we have to obey that come from heaven, man, that is the most dehumanizing thing on the face of the planet. But what does John do? He doesn't say that. He says, in the beginning was the Logos, and He came and dwelt amongst us. And He says the absolute truth of the universe is a person that you can love, that you can know, that you can enjoy relationship with, that can, can walk closer with you than a brother. And he makes it, he says, no, this is, this is not just a concept that we're talking about, that is some, some in the atmosphere somewhere. No, it is a person, and his name is Jesus, and you can know him, and you can love him, and you can have relationship with him. Man, that's liberating. That's absolutely liberating. In a love relationship like I have with Helen and with my boys, all of you have to surrender independence. One says to the other, I will adjust to you, I will surrender for you, I will sacrifice you, for, for, for you. And for that family relationship to work, that has to happen. And all people equally participate in that. You see, if Nietzsche was right, then he would say that actually the God that lives in heaven just says, do that, do that, and it's all one-way relationship and that truly is crushing if it's all one-way relationship. And it's de dehumanizing. If you are the one giving up all your independence, if you are the one giving up everything and doing all the changing, and it's all one way, then that is dehumanizing. Absolutely. But I want to say to you not, that's not true with God. It's not true with our God that we, we, that we worship. There are many gods out there. There are many truths that are being proclaimed. But Christianity is the only truth, the only the only uh, gospel that says that God, the absolute truth, became a man and went to the cross for you and I. And on the cross, he said, I will lose my independence for you. I will give away my freedom for you. Well, I can, I can give myself to God like that. He says, actually, I'll give away all for you that you might be free. He's opened his arms to us. He's, in a sense, he allowed himself to be exploited on the cross. It says when Jesus went before Pontius Pilate, he never said a thing in his defense. 
Philippians chapter 2 tells us that. It says that Christ has, God lost his freedom for us. Have this in mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and we found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Isn't that amazing? So God surrendered all his freedom so that we could know and we could trust him. And it's not an abstract set of rules. You see, if, we, if, we're, only, if, we're, only called, if we're only called to obey rules, the only way that they can be implemented is through fear. <laughs> and the law has never brought freedom. The law operates out of fear. We are not slaves to fear. What God has done on the cross through Jesus Christ has brought freedom for us, each and every one of us. And the freedom ultimately is that we can know him personally. Personally. Like I know Petri, I can know Jesus. Like I know, what's your name again? Becky. <laughs> Bex. And that's why, that's why, and this is my final point, at the end of the chapter, Paul can challenge Peter about his racism. That's what he's saying. He's saying, Peter, you are racist. You, you've agreed that the gospel sets people free and that I should go to the Gentiles, but out of fear of this circumcision group, you've given in and you've stopped eating to them. And basically, he's saying, you are behaving in a racist way. But note how he challenges him. He doesn't point him to a whole set of rules. He doesn't say, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. He says, what you've done is that you've walked away from the truth of the gospel. You don't understand the fullness of the gospel if that's how you behave. The gospel has not fully impacted your life if you're racist. That's what he's saying. Man, that is a powerful thing. When you know that you are a desperate sinner saved by grace, you do not have any, not one ticky to stand on and point a finger at anybody else in terms of their race, color, cross, or creed when you know you are a sinner saved by grace. That's the good news of the gospel. He's saying, Peter, he's saying to Peter, Peter, you haven't thought through all the implications of the gospel. This thing that has set you free from the inside out, you are sinners saved by grace. There's nothing superior about your race. There's nothing superior about your color. Nothing. We are all sinners saved by grace. Think about the gospel. That's what, Peter, what Paul is saying to Peter. I want you to think about the gospel. Why would you be afraid? Don't be afraid of anything. You're absolutely loved by God. You're his son. You're his daughter. Why would you want to be afraid of anything and give in to fear and start behaving out of fear? No, the gospel set you free. In Christ, you're not a slave to anything. Don't be afraid of any person, afraid of what people might think. You're free. And he's saying, Peter, think about those things. Until the gospel is so rooted in you that it overcomes every fear that you have. That's what he's trying to say. If you understand the truth of the gospel, it frees you from the fear of death, the fear of people, any fear that seeks to enslave you. I want to just ask you tonight, are you free? Are you free from those things? The only thing that, that we, we, the Bible says constrains us is the love of Christ. And even that love that constrains us releases into this heavenly relationship with God anyway. Amen? Can we just pray? And then uh, we, can, we can have some coffee. Are you all cold? Yeah, I can see some of the ladies are freezing. Father, I want to thank you for the truth of your gospel.
Lord, we don't want to just preach about the gospel. We want to live in the fullness of the gospel. I want to thank you, Lord, that the gospel has set us free. I want to thank you, Lord, in these simple things that we've talked through tonight. We can see that the gospel just impacts all of our lives. It impacts our relationships, how we see other people. We thank you, Lord, that we are truly sinners saved by grace. We thank you, Lord, that while we were dead in our sin, you found us. We thank you, Lord, that you've liberated us from the inside out. And I pray, Lord, increasingly that this church community would be a graceful community. We truly would see the freedom that you've brought for us. I thank you, Lord, that we can know the truth, and the truth sets us free. I thank you, Lord, that it's not some kind of abstract concept, some philosophical concept somewhere, but the truth, the absolute truth of the universe came and lived amongst us as a man, and he died on our behalf, and we can know him. We can know him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we know him, we are transformed from the inside out. And I say thank you for these things tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.